Today on the Matt Wall Show, the Pride Movement has been doubling down on the indoctrination and sexualization of children this Pride Month. Some of the clips I'll show you are truly shocking, but you should realize this is not an aberration. This is what the Pride Movement is fundamentally all about. Also, huge, massive, enormous news as an intelligence official confirms that the U.S. government has possession of vehicles that are of non-human origin. This is something that everyone should be talking about, but not enough are, but we will. And the UPenn swimmer who appeared in What is a Woman has come out publicly for the first time. She has a lot to say. In our daily cancellation, Apple unveils its terrifying dystopian new nerd goggles. We'll talk about all of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. The CEO of Innovation Refunds and GetRefunds.com has been on TV explaining how they've helped so many small businesses with their ERC tax refunds. They've completed thousands of returns for different kinds of businesses, including over $700 million for construction companies and over $200 million in restaurants, bars, and hotels. Innovation Refunds has hundreds of five-star Trustpilot and Google reviews and is certified with the Better Business Bureau. In just eight minutes, you can easily start the process on GetRefunds.com. You can be on your way to receiving up to $26,000 per employee. The ERC tax credit is not a loan. It's a refund of your already paid taxes designed to let the business owner direct the money uh, into anything the business needs to grow. It's money that you can use to improve your business however you see fit. So go to GetRefunds.com to start the process. There's no upfront charge. They don't get paid unless you get paid. It's simple as that. Innovation Refunds has already helped clients claim over $5 billion in payroll tax refunds through the ERC, and they may be able to help your business too. So go to GetRefunds.com or download the app from the App Store today. That's GetRefunds.com today. After yesterday's show, I had uh, every intention of talking about something other than Pride Month today. And that's not to say that I uh, don't plan to continue talking about. In fact, it's not to say I don't plan to have uh, to release investigations that will expose the depravity of the whole movement. I still do. And you'll know exactly what I'm talking about very soon. But I had wanted to take a breather, if only for a moment, and for good reason. As much as these activists want to monopolize the conversation and make everything about them, the truth is that there are other things going on in the world. But then I saw footage from uh, the events that are taking place in streets and schools all over the country this month. The headline is not that these images are both gross and perverse, which they are. That's a given with pride, uh, quote-unquote pride. It's synonymous with the whole concept. What's really striking about this footage is that the moment you watch it, it becomes evident that pride isn't really about some small percentage of the population that wants to celebrate their fetishes. It's not about letting adults live how they want to live or whatever Nikki Haley might say. The main point of pride is to enable extremists to target, indoctrinate, and sexualize children. Uh, when people wave the pride flag, and when corporations and the U.S. military change their social media profiles to the rainbow colors, that's what they're supporting. That's always been the case, if you know anything about the history of pride, and we'll get into that in a moment. But with all this footage, no reasonable person can deny it anymore. Pride is a euphemism for the indoctrination and sexualization of children. And right now, all over the U.S. and the Western world, that's what's happening. So we'll start with this footage from Sarah Gonzalez with The Blaze. This is uh, from a, a Pride event hosted by the city of Dallas, which described the event as family-friendly and welcoming, inclusive, and affirming. How welcoming, inclusive, and affirming was it? Well, children under 12 received free admission to this event. They could peruse the displays, which included images of Disney characters having sex, pins that read send nudes, sex toys, as well as t-shirts and signs that are too graphic to read to you on the air. Um, kids could also walk by attendees in bondage gear, 
The so-called sisters of perpetual indulgence were there too, just to underscore that Christianity is fundamentally incompatible with the entire concept of pride. Many parents willingly brought their children to this event. Um, watch. enough of that. Um, that was not some, but here's what you have to understand. That was not some underground pedophiles convention, despite how it may have looked. This happened in broad daylight last weekend in Dallas, Texas. Taxpayers funded what you just saw. All ages were welcome, the city of Dallas said. There was even a teen pride event for kids as young as 13. And that's in Texas, a state that's not typically known for being on the cutting edge of sexual perversion. But Sarah Gonzalez who does tremendous and important work, by the way, has filmed events like this all around the state. Just a few months ago, she photographed a drag brunch for kids in Plano, Texas. Uh, here's what that looked like. Cutting all these clips off earlier than I originally intended to, but you can only take so much. You can see the little, this is a good place to cut it, actually, because you see that very young child in the background there looking on confused. And this is now a year-round thing in Texas. It's not just one drag show. It's now endorsed by the government of one of the largest cities in the state. Of course, this isn't just happening in Texas. In honor of Pride Month, the city of West Hollywood, for example, um, just paid the bill for this celebration, which the city billed as family-friendly. The local Fox affiliate aired the footage that we're about to show you. And I want you to notice in particular the men in the truck who are simulating bondage sex as families with children look on. And they got one. And they got one. 40 years in the making, and they want to challenge the next generation to be leaders and to step up and get involved. And also, you know, it is going well beyond just the June month, right? We're, we're going really celebrating Pride all year. Yes. So showing that we can celebrate Pride any time of the year. As you see right now, as the parade continues, we have the West Hollywood LA leather community. That's what you're taking a look at here. They're founded here in West Los Angeles and West Hollywood, uh, representing this entire region. They put on, they put on a show. They, they showed up. I'm just saying. They showed up. That they showed is for up. sure. Now, if you are uh, uh, mercifully listening to the audio podcast and not watching the, uh, the video podcast, then um, I can just tell you that what you saw there, a bunch of adults, a bunch of naked adults in bondage gear walking down the street. This is what the uh, announcers described as the leather community, other, otherwise known as sexual deviants, perverts, uh, degenerate BDSM enthusiasts who, and exhibitionists who want to act this out in public. 
When corporations like Fox sponsor events like LA Pride, this is the kind of thing they're supporting. This is what happens at these kinds of Pride events. The publication Redux, which was in attendance at this particular event, um, shot uh, some footage confirming that children were looking on at this moment. Watch. So you get the gist there. Now, another uh, independent journalist at the West Hollywood Parade, Belissa Cohen, reported that, quote, tons of kids were present. Thousands of people, including families, lined both sides of the public boulevard, yelling and cheering, sunny Sunday afternoon, no gatekeeping possible. In a functioning civilized society, everyone involved in that parade, really a combination of public indecency and child abuse, would be arrested and never let out of prison. But in West Hollywood, where nearly half the population identifies as somewhere on the uh, gay spectrum, this passes for normal. By the way, that parade was part of a much larger series of pride-themed activities, including the Women's Freedom Festival and the Dyke March. Footage from the Dyke March was mercifully unavailable at the time of this broadcast. But the point is that um, this is what pride is. The whole, the whole crux of it is to target children, to expose this sort of thing to children. Every time you see a pride flag, this is what it's supporting. You know, that can't be emphasized enough. This is what pride means. That's why a month ago, San Francisco Pride rescinded an invitation to the frontman of Twisted Sister, Dee Snyder. What was Snyder's crime? Well, he spoke out against doctors who permanently disfigure young children with life-altering surgeries in the name of gender ideology. That's all he did. He said he was glad his parents didn't jump to any rash conclusions, quote-unquote, and mutilate him as a child. And for that, San Francisco Pride called Snyder transphobic because he had, quote, cast doubt on young trans people's ability to self-identify their gender. In other words, in San Francisco, which hosts pride events for children year-round, it's transphobic to say that doctors shouldn't cut the breasts off of 14-year-old girls. It's transphobic to say that preteens shouldn't be castrated. Again, that's what the pride flag represents. Every time you see the pride colors of the pride flag, that's what they're defending. I didn't decide that, okay? It's, it's, not, it's not me deciding it. They decided it. If you see someone flying a pride flag, in nearly every single case, you know that is someone who, at a minimum supports castrating and sterilizing children, and sees no problem with inviting toddlers to drag shows. That explains why it's so important for these uh, people to indoctrinate children at a young age, so that they respect and revere that flag. Take the Smithsonian, for example. It's a museum that was created by Congress, which is almost completely staffed with federal workers, and which uh, gets about a billion dollars from the federal government every year. When it was founded, the first person to run the Smithsonian wanted it to be a hub of scientific research. Later, it became a place to store artifacts and specimens of various different types. Um, you know, I visited the Smithsonian quite a lot when I was a kid growing up. I always enjoyed it. What's the Smithsonian up to now? Well, they just put on this pride event for children of all ages, from toddlers to preteens. Kids were encouraged to create their own pride flags. They could also get pride face painting. The post-millennial uh, has the footage. Watch. You know, it's hard to find any uh, city or state in the United States where this is not the norm. It's not just Washington and San Francisco and West Hollywood and Dallas. A school in Idaho, Kellogg High School, 
just told an, just told an 18-year-old student named Travis Lohr that he was banned from graduation because he said, and, and quoting now, this is what he said, boys are boys and girls are girls. There's no in-between. That's what he said. That's something that you could have found in a biology textbook prior to the year, say, 2016, but now it's verboten. Keep in mind, this is not exactly a left-leaning state we're talking about here. Republicans have dominated Idaho since it was founded, and yet in Idaho, you can't graduate if you dare to affirm a basic biological fact. Hundreds of students protested the school's decision, but it wasn't enough. They went ahead with the graduation after kicking Travis Lore off stage, and it didn't end there. Lore now says that his job as a firefighter for the Forest Service was rescinded, was rescinded because he believes that boys are boys and girls are girls. Watch. I was supposed to go fight uh, wildland forest fires. I went in to finish up my final paperwork. I was supposed to start Sunday, and uh, I was informed by my boss after I'd finished my paperwork uh, that he was going to rescind his offer. In our protests, it wasn't violent at all. Uh, nobody, nobody did anything violent. We were just there to um, let me walk. Basically, that was our message. Uh, that's why everybody came together. I don't believe... I would have been punished at all, personally, if I had said Black Lives Matter um, or any of the other things. It's, it's, it's reassuring um, to, to know that I'm not alone uh, and realize what I did wasn't wrong. They're punishing Travis Lore and maybe the most obvious violation of the First Amendment possible, and they're doing it to send a message to any young person who tries to resist the programming. They want young people to know that they'll never work again if they say what they know is true. The school's pushing this, uh, pushing this understand how evil and depraved it is. St. Matthew's School in Canada, for example, locked down their Twitter account after footage of their Pride Month celebrations appeared online this week. This is supposedly a religious school, but they don't seem interested in religion, at least not the Christian religion, or schooling for that matter. Instead, they're doing this. <laughs> So you see, they have to uh, they have to walk the indoctrination gauntlet just to get into the school. There is no moderate or neutral version of the movement that we're witnessing. Pride is a radical far left campaign to indoctrinate and sexualize children, and we shouldn't be surprised by that. That was its entire purpose from the beginning. You know, in What Is a Woman, we talked about the connection of John Money and Alfred Kinsey to modern gender ideology. Money opened up the first clinic in the U.S. to perform so-called sex reassignment surgeries, as they were called at the time. Um, he's the one who popularized the term gender identity. He also forced children to engage in sex acts during therapy sessions, therapy sessions, quote unquote, which were photographed, quote, for research. Kinsey in particular was a hero to early gay pride pioneers. He came up with the Kinsey scale, which was the precursor to the infinite numbers of genders we're now and sexual orientations that we're now told exist. But Kinsey, as we explained in the film, was also an advocate of sexualizing children. I mean, an open advocate of it. He believed that children are sexual from birth. He ran experiments to try to prove this, experiments to document the, quote, orgasms 
of extremely young children, including babies. He enlisted pedophiles to rape babies and then documented it. And that was just one of the many atrocities that this sick, twisted, deviant freak committed. And yet Kinsey is still revered by the left. The Kinsey Institute, still operational today. Kinsey was the father of the comprehensive sex education programs that are still taught in schools today. And much of what kids are taught in these classes is still based on his research, even though most, much of it was fraudulent, not to mention morally depraved. This shows, again, that the agenda to sexualize kids has been in place for a long time. It's, it's just that, that many people are now noticing the fruits of this tree. What we're seeing take place all over the country, the outright in-your-face effort to groom children and expose them to public sex acts is not an aberration or some kind of offshoot from the broader pride movement. It was always the point. And now that no one can deny that, it's time to reject this movement in all of its forms. Every time your school or some corporation tries to force it on you and your children, understand what it is and what they're doing and why they're doing it and reject it. That's the only way to stop this. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, you're starting out in your career, you're trying to find a job. It's so important to stand out from the crowd. Also really difficult, uh, especially these days, uh, given how much competition there is. Standing out can be tough, especially when you're looking for a job or when you're hiring, looking to find that application that really stands out. That's why you need to check out ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter helps you find the most qualified people for your roles fast. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com Walsh. ZipRecruiter's matching technology helps you find the most qualified candidates for a wide range of roles. See a candidate you like? Well, you can easily send them a personal invite so they're more likely to apply. Their user-friendly dashboard makes it easy to filter, review, and rate your candidates all from one place. Let ZipRecruiter help you find the best people for all of your roles. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See for yourself. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Walsh to try ZipRecruiter for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash W-A-L-S-H. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, well, you know, you already know, if you don't know what we're starting five headlines with today, then you are not a real fan of this show. Um, and uh, it, it, well, why are we starting with it? Because it's big news. I mean, actually big, groundbreaking, should be earth-shattering news. A website called The, the Debrief um, has a report this week, actually just came out yesterday, with this headline, intelligence officials say U.S. has retrieved craft of non-human origin. Okay, now I want you to, to listen to this and you're going to listen to it. So sit down and listen, all of you, damn it, um, and care about it. You listen to it and care because this is important. Uh, reading a little bit, it says a former intelligence official turned whistleblower has given Congress and the intelligence community inspector general extensive classified information about deeply covert programs that he says possess retrieved intact and partially intact craft of non-human origin. The information, he says, has been illegally withheld from Congress, and he filed a complaint alleging that he suffered illegal retaliation for his confidential disclosures reported here for the first time. Other intelligence officials, both active and retired, with knowledge of these programs through their work in various agencies, have independently provided similar corroborating information both on and off the record. The whistleblower David Charles Grush, 36, a decorated former combat officer in Afghanistan, is a veteran of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency and the National Reconnaissance Office. 
He served as the reconnaissance office's representative to the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force from 2019 to 2021. From late 2021 to July 2022, he was the NGA's co-lead for UAP analysis and its representatives to the task force. So this is a high-ranking person. And all, by the way, all of his credentials have been verified. So he's not just some loony, you know, looney tune making this up. Um, yeah, he, the credential part we know for sure. So he was involved in these programs at the very top privy to like the most classified kinds of information, and this is what he's now telling us. The task force was established to investigate what were once called unidentified flying objects or UFOs and are now officially called unidentified anomalous phenomena or UAP. The task force was led by the Department of the Navy under the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security. It has since been reorganized and expanded into the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office or ARO to include investigations of objects operating underwater. Grush said the recoveries of partial fragments through and up to intact fields vehicles have been made for decades through present day by the government, its allies, and defense contractors. Analysis has determined that the objects retrieved are of exotic origin based on the vehicle morphologies and material science testing and the possession of unique atomic arrangements and radiological signatures. In filing his complaint, Grush is represented by a lawyer who served as the original intelligence community inspector general. Rush says, we're not talking about prosaic origins or identities. The material includes intact and partially intact vehicles. Um, now, let's see. There's a lot to this report. And uh, you can read the entire thing. In fact, you should. You should go read the entire thing. A lot more to the story. But that's like, that's the really basic gist of it. And it's incredible. We have, and it goes on to explain that it's not just this guy. There are multiple whistleblowers confirming the existence of alien spacecraft. This is the kind of thing that's never happened before, where they'd come out and say, yes, it's real. Yes, we have it. Yes, it's from non-human origin. Uh, and they've been recovered and studied for years, for decades. But yet, of course, somehow this like barely even makes a dent. It trends. So this story was trending on Twitter anyway yesterday. But, uh, but somehow it's not treated as major headline news, which obviously it is. And actually, there's more to it. This whistleblower had an exclusive interview on News Nation last night, which I can tell you that it was a 10-minute segment. Again, well worth watching. Go to News Nation. Go to their YouTube channel. They have it up. Um, I, I, I can tell you, I, I gathered uh, my entire family. In fact, I got my kids. My kids had gone to bed, and I had them come out of their rooms because someone sent me this. I didn't know the guy did an interview on News Nation. And, uh, and so my kids came out of their rooms after they'd already gone to bed. So we all, and I got my wife uh, to gather around and I said, look, you know, come on, kids, we're going to, come on, family. It's a family moment. We're going to watch this interview. This, you're going to remember this moment for the rest of your life. And we watched the interview and they were bored by it. Like they didn't even care. My wife started wandering away in the middle of it. I said, where are you going? This, it's only 10 minutes. Can you spare 10 minutes to learn about aliens? Um, I won't subject you to 10 minutes, but here's one minute with some in additional information about what this guy says the government has recovered. Listen. If you're right, if you're telling us the truth, mm -hmm. everyone, the entire American public, has been lied to for decades. Yeah, there's a sophisticated uh, disinformation campaign targeting the U.S. populace, which is extremely unethical and immoral. You are saying to the human race for the first time an official intelligence representative at a high level from the US government is saying publicly 
we are not alone. We're definitely not alone. Absolutely, the data points empirically that we're not alone, yeah. Do we have bodies? Do we have species of Well, naturally, um, when you recover something that's either landed or crashed, um, sometimes you encounter um, dead pilots. And uh, believe it or not, as, fan as fantastical as that sounds, it's true. So they, he's saying that we not only have the vehicles, but they actually have actual extraterrestrial aliens in their possession. Now, um, let me answer a few objections. There are objections that are raised, objections raised uh, by people very close to me. Like, for example, my own wife, my coworkers here. I, we're not alone in the universe, but I feel alone sometimes as a UFO enthusiast, especially working here. So uh, it, it, it objections are raised, but, but the, real, the real objection people have, I think, is that they just, like, they rule it out as a possibility because they don't want to think about the implications if it's true. I think that's the, actually what's going on, and we'll get to that in a second. But um, So there, there's the real objection, which is that there are people, especially some conservatives, who think that, like, I can't believe this. I just can't. Not that it's unbelievable, but I just, I can't allow myself to believe it because I think it has implications that are scary to me. Um, but that's not usually what's said. Instead, it's something, you know, there, there are, they cite other reasons. And one of them is that this is a distraction by the government. Yeah, it's trying to distract us. That's all this is. But that's nonsense, first of all, because these stories don't get a lot of attention, right? Now, they, they get some attention, but they're not, they're not, um, it's not something that dominates the news cycle for days on end. Most, many people don't care that much. So they should care, I think, but they don't. So the, the, the distraction theory is totally baseless. It makes no sense. It's not a distraction. People don't focus on it that much. Um, not to mention the whole idea that the government would need to invent these kinds of stories to distract us. Like We're distracted all the time anyway by a million different things. So they need to come up with some totally outlandish story about aliens that they've recovered to distract us when we're already... I mean... Most people, they spend 10 hours a day just like scrolling randomly through TikTok and watching Netflix. You think that the American public needs to be distracted by this? It's like you're, you're flattering us, okay? As if we're all, you know, laser focused on the important issues. And so they have to come up with some crazy distraction mechanism. Uh, that's not the case. I wish it was, but it's not. So, you know, at, at most, this is just like a sideshow. People treat it like a sideshow. And if the government wanted to throw out minor sideshow things, they don't have to go all the way to aliens. So the theory doesn't make any sense. Also, if your argument against these stories is that you don't trust the government, well, for decades, the government denied all of this. They lied to us. They made up all kinds of ludicrous explanations for these phenomena. Now you're just parroting what the government has said for decades. The intelligence community on the record for decades has said, no, there's nothing going on. Everything's fine. Everything's cool. So who's the one trusting the government here? Besides, these are mostly whistleblowers telling us about this. These are not official government agencies. In fact, the, the Pentagon came out with an official statement denying this. So you can believe the whistleblower or you can believe the official statement from the Pentagon. And if you're skeptical of the government, which one are you going to trust? You're skeptical of the government, so you trust their official statement and not the whistleblower who gains nothing by saying this. He destroys his entire career, potentially puts himself, you know, who knows? He could be prosecuted, knows what they're going to do. So, like, if... if if skepticism of government is one of your primary motivating uh, things, which I totally understand, then that should lead you to uh, lending some credibility to this. 
Um, you know, I've also heard the theory. In fact, I was just talking to uh, Michael Knowles about this in uh, in wardrobe, and he he was uh, speculating it was a misdirect. It could be a misdirection, right? Because really, this is uh, this is our own tech, and that, that people are seeing, and we're claiming aliens so that China doesn't know, or whoever, one of our adversaries doesn't know that we have this technology. But that makes no sense, as I explained to him uh, just a few minutes ago, because China. They also are saying, this whistleblower is saying, other countries have recovered this stuff too. So China would know if the alien story is totally made up. Like, you're not going to misdirect them. They know if it's true or not. So the idea that we're trying to fool our adversaries, who also have high-level classified information of their own, and we're trying to fool them by making up a story about aliens, to me is, is, uh, is ridiculous. Now, then there's the question of, of evidence. And there are some people who say, yes, we're 10 minutes into it. We're still talking about this. Uh, there are people who say, well, this is, it's not enough evidence. It's just hearsay, right? Well, you got to take the whole picture into account. This is just the latest whistleblower, somebody very high up on the chain, who, as far as I can tell, stands to gain nothing from this, um, who had access to very classified in- information, Verified by other officials, denied officially by the Pentagon. But it's the latest in a chain of events that includes all kinds of sightings, I mean, thousands of them, uh, accompanied by photographic and video evidence, radar. It's been going back, uh, you know, there, there was many famous sightings going back years and years and years, going back decades. But there was the famous sighting that I think they covered in uh, um, Unsolved Mysteries, the latest Unsolved Mysteries series on, on Netflix in Michigan, where hundreds of people saw these things simultaneously and were calling in. We have the 911 reports of them calling in, reporting what sound very much like flying saucers. And and it was caught on radar by the National Weather Service at the same time. So many things like that. So you've got eyewitnesses, you've got classified information, you've got physical evidence, you do have videos, we have radar. So there's actually a lot of evidence here, which makes so... If, if it's still not enough for you to even entertain the possibility, then I have to ask you, what do you need? If this isn't enough to even make you pause to think about it, then what evidence do you need? What that tells me is that there is no evidence that you could ever be presented that would convince you. And I think that is the case for some people. Like you could literally see them land right in front of you and you would still say, oh, it's AI, it's, a, it's, it's mind control. It's, like you would go to any other explanation but that. And I think that's because there's a large portion, especially of conservatives, who uh, think, because conservatives tend to be more religious, you know, and um, t- who think that they can't believe this because it would call their faith into question. But that's not true. I, let, me, let me relieve you of that burden. Um, there's, there's nothing about the potential existence of life elsewhere in the universe that would call your faith into question. It's just, we know the universe is massive and there's lots of things going on in the universe we don't know about. Um, and may, we probably can't even understand because God has created a universe that is much bigger and more complicated and uh, more amazing than maybe you give it credit for. I don't see how that, that calls anything. Now, it raises questions that we can't, we can't answer. All It raises all kinds of questions, religious questions, scientific questions that we can't answer because some of this stuff is above our pay grade. But who says we have to understand every last thing? We have to be able to understand every last thing about the universe. You know, and as far as the Bible goes, the Bible is, is, isn't concerned with talking about what's happening elsewhere in the universe. Doesn't acknowledge, like, other planets at all, really. 
doesn't mean it denies they exist. It's just, it's, it's focused on what's happening here. So I don't think that that's a concern you need to have. Um, but I do think that that is really the fundamental reason why many people refuse to even look at the evidence because they think that they are committed to not believing it. And I, and I think that that's just not true. You, you can, you can be open-minded, look at the evidence and at least acknowledge that again, the universe is a bigger and more complicated place than than any of us could possibly understand. And there are just there are putting aliens aside, there are things happening out there in the vast cosmos that we can't eat, we can't possibly wrap our minds around. Um, all right, that's my pitch. At least I didn't start the show that I was very close to making this the lead story of the show. I probably should have. Uh, next, you know, yesterday we released an important interview. Paula Scanlon appeared in, uh, she appeared in What is a Woman? Her name's Paula Scanlon, and she's a teammate of Leah Thomas, who's the male UPenn swimmer who competed against women. And uh, you might not recognize the name from the film because she wasn't named in the film. She appeared in the film uh, anonymously. Her face was blacked out. Her voice was changed. But then she reached out to us a few weeks ago, and she said she wanted to go public. And it just so happened that she reached out to us. She didn't know that we were planning on releasing What is a Woman on Twitter. She didn't know about all the things we had planned. Um... And so this all kind of worked out. She just happened to reach out to us at the exact same moment we were planning all of this. And um, and she said she wanted to go public. She wanted to put her face and name with it and really speak out in a more visible way. So we were, of course, happy to have her back, talk to her again, which we did. And um, you can find uh, the whole interview on Twitter and I think on YouTube until YouTube takes it down. Whole conversation is, is worth listening to. But I want to play this one part for you, okay? Paula talks about how the university would shut down dissent from the real women on the team. And so, because many of us have wondered, you know, when these men are invading women's sports, why aren't the women on the teams speaking out more? Uh, What are they saying behind the scenes? There's no way they're okay with this. How could they be okay with it? Well, I asked her about that and she, she, she talks about it in some detail. Um, And she says that they had, the university had a meeting where they sat all the girls down, and Leah Thomas was not at the meeting. Okay, he wasn't there. And they sat everyone down. They brought in the activists from the campus LGBT center, and they basically told all the girls to fall in line. Uh, and also offered them psychological counseling to help heal their mental problems that would cause them to object in the first place. Okay, so this is, there was a real campaign of intimidation, coercion, and this sort of uh, psychological manipulation and gaslighting that went on to make the, the girls on the team feel crazy for not being okay with having a, a naked man in the locker room or having their opportunities stolen from them by a man competing on the team. And, and, that, and that campaign was apparently very effective. So um, here she is talking a little bit about that. Listen. So prior to that meeting... I would have one-on-one conversations with pretty much everyone on the team. Say, hey, like, you know, I don't think this is right. Yeah, I don't think it's right either. Um, Another teammate actually said to me, I think Leah's record should have an asterisk. Or someone said, I think Leah should compete exhibition. Or, you know, I don't think this is going to go on for much longer. Like, someone's going to step in and end this. And I had these conversations with so many of my teammates. I would say most people on the team had this opinion. And then after that meeting, they really scared us. It was scary, and I, and I was petrified. I went home that night, and I called my brother on the phone, and I said, 
can I even talk about this with you? Like, am I, is there something wrong with me for thinking that this is wrong? It, whatever, like, it worked. The university wanted us to be quiet and they did it in a very effective way. Like, they continue to just tell us that our opinions were wrong and that if we had an issue with it, we were the problem. And it's frightening and your future job is on the line and everything else you want to accomplish. So, of course, it worked. And then after that point, no one would talk about it anymore. Like, if they effectively, you know, silenced us even within talking to each other. Uh, she, she also tells, and, and again, you can go Twitter or YouTube and find the interview. Um, it's about, I think it's about 30 minutes long. The whole story is worth hearing. There's, there's a lot more there about what they did to these, to these, uh, to these women. Um, she gives one specific example of uh, a teammate of hers who was very against this. And she said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to go in and, uh, I'm going to talk to someone. I'm going to have a meeting with the administration and speak up. And she did. And then she came back and it was like invasion of the body snatchers. It was, she, she came back and she said, well, it's, this is actually a really good thing. And it's, it's really beautiful and powerful that Leah is here. Change, just like that on a dime. Um, but what really, what really struck me, and I, I remember this the first time we talked to Paula back for the interview, that, and she even, she even admits that she herself began questioning her own judgment and common sense. She started to think, well, am I... Am I wrong here? As everyone around me is affirming it, and all the authority figures are affirming it, and the school is, and you know, I look around on campus, it's all affirming it and saying this is good. And so, am I? Am I the crazy one? Now, you might hear that and think, well, you have to be very weak-minded to question. But no, not not at all. This is when this is the psychological impact of people being made to feel isolated. Um. And, and, you know, when, when the messaging all around you is like, this is okay, this is good, this is okay, this is good, and they're beating you over the head with it, eventually for, it starts to break down your psychological defenses. Um, and then on top of it, because she also talks about this in the interview, and I think this is one of the reasons why this sort of thing is especially effective on women, is that if you're if you if you are a you know an empathetic person, and you know you care about other people, you want other people to feel good and be happy and all that. Not only are they manipulating you and they're intimidating you and coercing you and they're gaslighting you, but they're also playing on that. They're taking advantage and exploiting that. They're they're taking and it's it's so sinister because they're taking something that's good about you, which is that you're compassionate, and you're empathetic, and you care about people and you don't want to hurt people's feelings. And, and that's a good thing, and they're turning it against you um, by telling you that, well, look, if you really care about people and you, want, and you don't want to hurt their feelings, then you should go along with this. And if you don't go along with this, this person's going to be, uh, they, they might kill themselves if you don't go along with it. So that's, that's the kind of environment that people are, are put in. But most of all, and I, and I hear this, wasn't just from Paula, it wasn't just in one interview. I hear this all the time from people. That most of all, what the left does on, on, really on any issue, but especially on this one, is they want you to feel like you're alone. They want you to feel isolated. So you understand, you know right from wrong, you have common sense, but they want you to feel like you're, you're the only one who feels the way that you do. Everyone else around you is on the same page. And you're the one person 
who's questioning this. So what you think is common sense must not be. If it was common sense, why isn't it's called common for a reason? It should be shared by everybody. And that's and that's also why they are desperate to shut down anyone who talks about this. You know, it's why they want to shut down what is a woman. All the deplatforming, everything. Main reason they're doing that is because it breaks the illusion that you're alone. And uh, and that's what they're most terrified of. All right. We don't have a lot of time for uh, other stories in the five headlines because we did spend so much time uh, on the little detail that the government has actual space aliens in their possession. But I wanted to play one other uh, clip for you that I thought was interesting. Pete Buttigieg gave a speech about roadway safety, which is at least a topic that he's supposed to be focused on. So we've got that going for us. But what he said, as always, is insane. Listen to this. Dozens of companies, agencies, organizations, jurisdictions have been stepping up in response to the call to action that went along with that roadway safety strategy. Uh, DoorDash exploring new tools to keep their drivers safe. Families for safer streets creating manuals to educate decision makers on safety issues. Transit agencies improving the safety in the vicinity of, of bus stops. So many more who are pioneering new approaches to data, community outreach and education, cross-sector collaboration to save lives. And the ultimate goal, which we have also made a point of adopting, is to get traffic deaths down to the only acceptable number, which is zero. Get traffic de- deaths down to the only acceptable number of zero. Now, that, that is crazy. Okay, that's completely insane. Of course, nobody wants anyone to die of, uh, in, a, in a traffic accident. Nobody wants that. We, we are all opposed to traffic accidents, right? If you were to take a poll of uh, the American public and say, are you pro or con fatal traffic accidents? I'm pretty sure you would get 100% um, con, 100% against. Well, there's always the people that are that don't know. So it'd be like 97% and 3%, I don't know. Most people anyway are against it. So we're on the same page there. But the only acceptable number of deaths is zero? Well, that's just not true. Like, obviously, uh, there, there's a, the acceptable number of deaths is much higher than that because if the number of deaths right now was actually unacceptable, it really, like we can't accept it, then we would shut down all uh, roadway transportation if it's actually unacceptable. In other words, by allowing people to be on the roads, we are accepting the fact that a certain number of people will die on the roads. We are, except we, we don't like to think about it. We don't put it that way. We don't, we don't think of it that way in our minds, but we are accepting it. Um, every time you get on the road, every time you drive down the highway, you are accepting the fact that you might die. Again, you don't think about that when you put your key in the ignition, but, uh, but you are accepting that fact. If you actually did not want to accept the possibility that you might die on the roads, then you would never drive anywhere. That's what it means to not accept. It means to get rid of it completely. If you're not getting rid of it, then you are accepting not happy about it. You still want to reduce the number, but you're accepting the risk. So uh, when agents of the government, especially the guy that's heading up the transportation department, 
says that the only acceptable number is zero, says that his actual goal is to get traffic deaths down to zero, that, that's something that's, uh, even though it's crazy, that doesn't mean that we can just dismiss it. Okay, th- this, is, this is a narrative that they're building. And it's, there's always a reason for it. Uh, you know, it's not simply fluff and pandering and whatever. Virtue signaling, I mean, it's, it's partly that. But this is a narrative that they're building uh, for a particular reason. And as far as they're concerned, like that, that is actually what they would want to do. You know, in, in Pete Buttigieg's utopian vision of society, nobody has a car. That, that's actually what he wants. And that would be the only way to get traffic deaths down to zero. So there is a reason. When you hear these radical extreme statements coming from agents of the government, you should realize that uh, there is a reason why they're saying it. And the reason is never good. Let's get to the comment section. Do you know their name? They're the sweet baby gang. Nearly Barking says, stop talking about the left. In the UK, left-wing and feminist women have been fighting this for years, but that doesn't suit your worldview, though, does it? Um, maybe they have been. In the UK in particular, yeah, that's true that feminists have been at the forefront of this fight against gender ideology in the UK. Um, that is not the case in the United States, where I live. Okay, in the United States, it, it absolutely has not been feminists who are leading up the fight against gender ideology. UK might be, is in fact the case in the UK. Not here. I mean, not even close. There, there are very, very few feminists in the United States who are saying anything about this critical of it. And most who are, um, uh, jumped on a bandwagon. They weren't at the front of it. And, but aside from the fact, aside from all that, yes, this is still a product of the left. Gender ideology is a product of the left. It is a product of leftism through and through. There's no denying that. And so is feminism. And the other thing too is that, uh, because I know that, you know, there's been this There's been a lot of bitterness and resentment that I've talked about on the show before uh, directed at me from some of these feminists, you know, especially UK feminists, the so-called gender critical feminists who are, it's another way of saying that feminists who at least acknowledge biological reality. Um, Well, some biological reality. They don't acknowledge the biological reality in the womb, biological reality that an unborn child is a human being. They don't acknowledge that, but they do acknowledge that men are men and women are women at least. And, um, you know, so there's been a lot of resentment directed at me from them not wanting to, to work with. Because the thing is, as I've said many times, on this issue, I'll work with anybody. If we're on this, I don't need to agree with you on other things. But if we can work together on this particular issue and move the ball forward and get some things done, then, then I'm all for it. But they don't want anything to do with it. And instead, after the movie came out and we started making a lot of progress and laws are changing and everything else... Um, they just became more and more resentful and, uh, and it started have been accusing me for a year of excluding them or, you know, not, um, not including them in the film, not giving them enough credit. Uh, because that's their focus, apparently, is getting credit. And we put a movie out and they think they're entitled to be in it. Like, also, you know, aside from the fact that, that actually we did try to include some of them in the film, 
J.K. Rowling is one of them. We, we invited her to be in the film. She didn't want to be in it, uh, which is her right. That's perfectly fine. But if we try to include someone in a film and they don't want to be in it, then we can't go, why did you have this kind of person in the film? We can't force them. But the main point is that th- this, is, this is the thing with the feminists. What they refuse to acknowledge is that feminism laid the groundwork for gender ideology. And they refuse to even confront that reality because the feminists were the ones for decades saying that essentially there is no substantive, substantive difference between men and women. Okay, these might be distinct biological categories, but they were the ones who started graying all the other distinctions. Um, yeah, men, you know, e- e- equality of the sexes, right? What, what does equality mean? It means sameness. It means we're the same. We're not different. Now, for a lot of them, they didn't mean it like this. But be that as it may, they're the ones who set the ground, the uh, laid the groundwork. You know, they put the tracks down, and then the gender ideologues jumped on those tracks. The invention of gender and sex as two distinct things. Again, that's very wound up in feminism. You know, it, w- it would be nice uh, if they would have some kind of confrontation with that fact, but they won't. Nina says, Matt, you have not addressed the picture circulating from the release night of, doc- of the documentary where you and Michael are wearing skinny jeans. Why? Other than that, congrats on the success. Because I, I'm not wearing skinny jeans, and I'm really tired of this false narrative. Of all the false narratives I'm targeted with, this one to me is the most exhausting. They're just jeans. They're just normal jeans, okay? I don't go... I don't go to the store and look for the skinny jean section of the, I just, they just fit their jeans. That's all. What kind of jeans do you want me in? Do they have to be wide-legged, like Wrangler jeans? You want me in bell bottoms? What do you want me in? Maybe the, the Jinko jeans back from the 90s? Should I wear those instead? The ones that are so wide, they cover like your entire shoe. Looks like you're floating, like you're hovering above the ground. That's what I'll do. I'll start wearing Jinko jeans, all right? And then maybe you'll get off my case about the jeans. Um, Roland says, I served in the army. One limiting factor was anybody who required any sort of continual medical treatment was not allowed in the military. When one's out in the dirty, dust front lines, uh, dirty, dusty front lines, imagine having to get your hormone shots or dilating or other graphic exercises. Yeah, that's a very good point. It's one of the many reasons why, of course, uh, the uh, Trump's ban, a tran- ban on trans people in the military made a lot of sense. Uh, it might not make you feel good if you identify as trans. Uh, it might seem kind of rude or whatever, but this is the military. Okay, it's not supposed to be about making you feel good. I know that's changed, much to our detriment, but it's not supposed to be about affirming you and making you feel good and encouraging you. Uh, and Myoni says, I finally feel a shift happening on this topic. We have to keep pushing forward. Yeah, I, I think... Uh, I think that the shift is very evident as well. And um, a lot of the shift, when you say this topic, I assume you mean broadly, really there's a shift, gender ideology, the pride movement, all this stuff. There's definitely a, a shift happening. We see that politically. We see that with legislation. We also see it culturally. Uh, but one of the big shifts began with people caring about this issue. And that is always, if you want to, you know, if you're in a movement, and if you're, if, you're, if you're trying to get a movement going, 
the first and most difficult and oftentimes most frustrating step is, you know, you have this issue that you recognize as important, but getting people to care about it, that's the first step and it's difficult. Once you succeed in that, that's when you start to build momentum. And I think we've gotten over that hurdle of getting people to care, recognize that this matters. And once you do that, um, the momentum starts building from there. Introducing the Precision 5 Razor. That's this right here. One handle plus one blade cartridge kit for only $14.99. Jeremy's uh, lowest cost for a razor and only for a limited time. It's crafted with a luxurious tungsten handle, five welded steel blades, and a flip-back trimmer for a close, smooth shave around hairlines and uh, hard-to-reach places. But remember, hard-to-reach places. Where are you shaving with this thing? But remember, the Precision 5 is no ordinary razor. It's a sword in the battle for beliefs, a banner to wave into a new economy, a precision instrument to force woke companies to earn back your dollar and stop denigrating your values. But it also is still a razor and will help give you a great shave. Stop giving money to woke corporations that hate you. Join over 125,000 men who have ditched their woke razors and switched to Jeremy's. It's never been a better time or place uh, or price. Go to jeremysrazors.com today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. If you're worried that people in our country are not focused enough on their phones, are not absorbed enough in technology to the exclusion of everyone and everything else, if you're deeply concerned that we are not isolated enough, that we're not doing enough to block out the real world in favor of our electronic devices, if you are the sort of person who wakes up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, terrified that we are not all devoting enough of our lives to staring at our screens, if your biggest complaint about the modern world is that we all spend too much time touching grass and not nearly enough time with our faces buried in our phones, then, well, Apple has some good news for you. Introducing Apple Vision Pro, which is the tech giant's quote-unquote revolutionary new spatial computer, otherwise known as a phone that you wear directly on your face. Business Wire has more, quote, Apple today unveiled Apple Vision Pro, a revolutionary spatial computer that seamlessly blends digital content with the physical world while allowing users to stay present and connected to others. Vision Pro creates an infinite canvas for apps that scales beyond the boundaries of a traditional display and introduces a fully, a fully three-dimensional user interface controlled by the most natural and intuitive in inputs possible, a user's eyes, hands, and voice. Featuring Vision OS, the world's first spatial operating system, Vision Pro lets users interact with digital content in a way that feels like it is physically present in their space. The breakthrough design of Vision Pro features an ultra-high-resolution display system that packs 23 million pixels across two displays and uh, custom Apple silicon in a unique dual-chip design to ensure every experience feels like it's taking place in front of the user's eyes in real time. Now, that's a lot of fancy words describing what is undoubtedly a fancy device, but not really revolutionary. Apple is not inventing anything new here. These big, dumb-looking nerd goggles have existed for a while and have been making people look like dorks from the future for a while. Um, these nerd goggles aren't different in kind, but they are fancier and much more expensive, hitting the market at $3,500 a pop, or what the average American might know as two months of mortgage payments. Of course, in these tough economic times, the only people who should be spending $3,500 on a toy are like millionaires. Yet if history is any guide, lots of non-millionaires, lots and lots of them, will line up to spend money that they don't have on this bull they don't need and which won't make their lives better in any substantive way. And then many of those same people will complain that they need help paying off their student loans. 
Anyway, if you want to know more about the Nerd Goggles, here's a promo video that Apple played for a large crowd yesterday. Watch. Your surroundings become an infinite canvas. Use your apps anywhere and make them any size you want. Capture photos and videos and relive your most important memories in an entirely new way. Watch your movies, shows, and sports, and immerse yourself in games on a giant screen surrounded by spatial audio. Yes, immerse yourself in the screen. Live inside the screen. Be the screen. Block out everything but the screen. Copulate with the screen and make little screen babies and start a screen family together to replace the real family that you're neglecting. There's a lot more uh, to learn about these screens. These are very special screens indeed. Even more special than the last really special screen that Apple made. For more information on the screen, here's another promo video. This one gives perhaps the best look at the te technical capabilities of these nerd goggles and also the deepest appreciation for just how stupid they make people look. Watch. Who wants to sit on their couch wearing that on their face? Who wants to walk around their house looking like a reject from the X-Men? They truly do look very, very stupid. And this is the one fact that I still hang my hopes on. Maybe the nerd goggles will fail to take off simply because they're ugly and awkward and anyone who wears them looks like a huge dork. Perhaps our vanity will win out in a war with our materialism. We can only hope. But there are other problems, aside from the fact that they make you look like the sort of person who, um, you know, sits alone at the lunch table and gets bullied and shoved in a locker. A locker. Uh, perhaps problems even more significant than that, if you can believe it. Problems like the final and total forfeiture of any semblance of privacy or autonomy. Apple says that its nerd goggles will offer you an augmented reality, but Apple can't augment your reality without first having total unfettered access to it. So with the nerd goggles, Apple can see everything you see. It can literally track every movement you make. It can track where your eyes move. You are granting them access to every part of your life, every movement, not to mention every part of your home. Now, hopefully, if you've been paying attention at all for the past 20 years, you know that this is not some kind of paranoid conspiracy theory. Big tech tracks, catalogs, stores, and monetizes every piece of you that it has access to. If you wear their devices on your face and literally experience your everyday physical reality through one of their filters, you will have granted them access to everything. Everything. Not to mention, by the way, what about people who are walking past you while you're wearing the dumb things? Like if I have to walk past you while you're wearing the nerd goggles, am I now, like, how do I know if I'm being 
recorded, if I'm, if I, you know, is that image now stored somewhere? It takes everything. There will be almost nothing left privacy-wise except the thoughts inside your mind. And they'll get those too sooner rather than later. And somehow this is not even the biggest problem with the nerd goggles. The biggest problem is that they represent one more step away from reality, away from the physical real world. The nerd goggles promise to augment our reality, which is to make it better and greater. That's what augment means. And it plans to do this by adding more screens to it, by making life more convenient, by giving you fewer reasons to get off your couch. I don't consider this an improvement over actual reality. Okay, there are plenty of problems with our reality, none of which can be solved by the nerd goggles. But the one thing we can say about the world, the real, actual, physical world, is that it's a big place. It's a dynamic and interesting place, a place of endless possibility and real breathtaking beauty. Augment? Like you're in your house with your children, you need to augment that reality? Yeah, I'm sort of bored here in my own home experiencing the love of my family. I need to augment this reality. You know what this reality means? It needs screens. Yeah, I'm looking at one of my children, but what? it'd be so much better if there was a screen there. Can I make my child into an app? I could just store my loved ones on apps. I don't even need, I don't, I don't need real loved ones, actually. I just need, I need an app. There's an app for that. Just click the app. And those my child. Okay, put them back in the app. If you want augmentation, go outside. You dork. Go hike a mountain. Go to the beach. Go do anything. Do something. Engage with your actual surroundings. Engage with the human beings in your surroundings, especially the ones in your own home. We already spend far too much time with our faces buried in our phones. This already has the effect of isolating us, of deprioritizing the people who are physically closest to us. Now we'll have our phones attached to our faces, which will only make this dynamic worse. Which makes me reconsider something, because I just said that eventually big tech will figure out a way to read our thoughts. But maybe not. You know, after all, they can't access our thoughts if we don't have any thoughts to begin with. And, and this is how we're apparently working around that problem, by becoming increasingly comatose and numb, slack-jawed, staring at screens, experiencing only what the screens want us to experience, thinking nothing in particular, developing no unique thoughts of our own, no inner life, no real identity. And so there are no thoughts. See, this is the great irony. Soon enough, they will figure out a way to read our minds, and they'll probably do it through those dumb things you're wearing on your head. But by then, our minds will be empty vessels. They'll get access to our thoughts, and there'll just be nothing there, nothing left to read. The devices will have already become our minds. We will be digitally lobotomized, a bunch of drooling, senile vegetables with big, dumb goggles on our face, Staring at screens that only we can see, isolated from everybody, all of us fat and disgusting, wasting away, but too distracted to notice and too numb to care. In other words, I don't plan to purchase the Apple Vision Pro. In fact, uh, they are today, and everyone who wears them are also canceled. That'll do it for this portion of shows. We move over to the members block. You become a member today by using code Walsh at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. Hope to see you there. If not, talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed.